Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our fall series, Created, Made for More, focusing our hearts toward biblical manhood and womanhood. God's beautiful design will lead us toward the flourishing He intends for us. Everyone in this room is created. And over the next nine weeks, what we want to unpack is manhood and womanhood, okay? We want to unpack the purpose, the challenges. We want to unpack the redemption the gospel offers us. And then how together we, what, what does it mean to be a man? And then what does it mean to be a woman? Um, the reason this is important is because today, um, that looks much different than it used to. And you see culture doing this kind of thing here. And, and so what we want to step into is that God did not make any mistakes. God made zero mistakes when he made you. And he wired you specifically the way you are. All your honoriness, he wired you. Now, some of that's just sin working itself out, okay? And you have to confess that and put it under the blood of Jesus. But listen, he wired you where you are. Now, um, God, now if if you knew me, Ten, fifteen years ago, you might not recognize the guy that's up here, um, and it's not entirely the fault of Krispy Kreme donuts. I, um, but for some reason, the Lord saw fit to entrust uh, Kirsten, my wife, and I with two young girls, beautiful, um, sweet. Uh, talkative, one of them's very talkative, um, young girls. And as we're raising them, one of the things that we're trying to do is reinforce to them what does it mean to be a lady? What does it mean to be a woman? This is something a woman does. Right? And there's got to be a distinction, right? It's not a complete wash. In, in 2020, many would say it's just a complete wash. What's for what, what men should do, women should do, what women should do, men should do. And by that I mean there's no distinction. God created you with no distinction. And that's just so far from the truth in Scripture. He created men and women much differently. Now, if you um, come to our house, you'll see that. You'll see the ways that I'm wired that are much different than the way my wife is wired. She would, pro- did you just amen that? Oh, I'm sorry. We're about to have a dispute right here. Um, help me, Jesus, if I make it through this message today. But he's entrusted us with these two little girls. And we've done youth ministry for 13, 15 years, and there's a common question. Young boys and young girls ask the question, what does it mean 
to be a young lady? What does it mean to be a woman? And then boys will ask, what does it mean to be a man? And they're not the same answers. They're not the same answers. Now, um, because I want the boys, the young men that are around me, I don't want them, I want them to grow into men, not just boys that can shave. You know there's a difference. There's a difference. I, don't want, I want to see strong, uh, 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 fierce men for the Lord. And as far as fierce, I want my daughters to be fierce as well. I want my daughters to grow up to be intellectual beasts. One, so they can smell out all those boys that can shave. Yeah. If you have daughters, you know what I'm talking about. But I want them to be the kind of iron that sharpens their husbands the way my wife has been iron that sharpens me. Look, much of the reason you see the man you see here today is because of the Lord using my wife to sharpen me. I want my daughters to be that kind of woman for their husbands in 40 or 50 years. Raising kids, you kind of get reintroduced to nursery rhymes. And some of them, like, I, I had totally forgotten, and one of them particularly stuck out for today, and it, it says, what are boys made of? Have you heard this? Snips and snails and puppy dog tails. And what are girls made of? Sugar and spice and everything nice. Yeah. If you take... And you just look at this literary work. I can tell you a couple things. We don't know who the author is. The author is unknown. I'm going to take a stab at saying it wasn't a guy. And in fact, I would say she, and I'll say she, she probably just got out of a terrible relationship. What are boys made of? Snips. You know what a snip is? Huh? Yeah, I don't either. I was hoping one of y'all could tell me. Um, snips and snails and puppy dog tails. Sugar, spice, and everything nice for the girls. I, we are all looking for ways to help unpack what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman. Does, is it just strictly biology? Is it just strictly uh, the physicality of who you are, or is it a set of behaviors? Is it just the biology of a man that makes a man, or is it a set of behaviors that makes a man? Is it the biology, the estrogen levels that make you a woman, or is it a set of behaviors that make you a woman? I've got to tell you, as I was researching for today, Gender has many different names in 2020. You can be agender, meaning you feel like you don't have a gender of any sorts, not having a gender or identifying with one. Uh, they may describe themselves as gender neutral or gender less. You can be bi-gender, a person who fluctuates between traditionally male and female. 
cisgender, a person whose gender identity and biological sex match up. That's, that's what they call someone who's cisgender. So you're born a male and you identify as a male. Um, it goes on and on. Gender queer, uh, third gender, um, gender fluid. There are people that feel like they don't have um, a gender at all. And so culture, hear, hear me today, culture is defining what being a man and being a woman is much differently than the Bible does. Much differently. Now, I need to be very clear here. Um, if you go, if the church, hear me, before we move forward into this discussion, the church, if the church should be anything in this discussion, the church should be a safe place for the gender confused and sexually broken. If it is not, we don't believe the message we proclaim. If the church is not a safe place for broken people to work out their brokenness, then you seriously underestimate your own brokenness. Less you take someone else's sin more serious than your own. Well, I didn't expect amens during this. But I need you to understand, because there are some in this room, and the reason I'm saying this is because this is going to touch home. So for some of you, this won't make any sense at all. You're going to be tempted to snicker. You're going to be tempted to kind of make faces. But can I tell you something? There are people in this room who have family, who have friends, who are walking through this type of confusion and brokenness. And so let's guard against that. Let's, let's guard against stepping back away and looking down on people in their brokenness. And, and I believe Jesus referred to it as needing to remove a log from our own eye in order to see the speck in someone else's. If the church is to be anything, it should be a safe place for the sexually broken and gender confused to wrestle out what they're feeling. I, I, I looked at 12, 13 different examples. Um, Mount Holyoke College. Have you ever heard of this, Mount Holyoke College? Mount Holyoke College um, is a um, historically all-women's college, all-women's college. Several years ago, they changed their admission standards. And basically, in summary, what they said was the only person who could not attend their college was a biological male who identified as male. That's the only person. If you were a biological male, but you identified as a woman, you could attend the all-women's college. If you uh, were a, a biological woman who identified as a woman, you could also attend the college. If you were a biological woman that identified as a man, you could attend Mount Holyoke College. Literally, the only person that could not attend would be a, a biological man 
who identifies as a man. Now, this is the culture we're in. And I hope you're aware of it. I hope you're aware of it because of two reasons. One, it is not for the people of God to shrink back and be um, absent from it. We're to be in the world, right? Not of the world. But then also, there are people all across this world who need your love and grace-laden compassion. Not your judging eyes. And look, I know predominantly this morning I'm speaking to Christians, but I need you to hear me. If you're online today and you have family that fall into this community, um, man, I am not by any means saying you should avoid the truth of Scripture, but what I am saying is, is when we step into brokenness, we need to understand our own brokenness and approach people with much, much grace. Now, have you ever heard of Dr. Paul McHugh? Dr. Paul McHugh, he's gotten more, I just called him doctor, but he's got, you, you know all those three, two-letter things that come before someone's name when they're really smart? I only know a couple people from New Kent with that. Um, I'm not one of them. Um, but he's smart, okay? He was um, the head of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University, and they appointed, have you heard of Johns Hopkins University? Johns Hopkins Hospital? He was appointed the head, back in the 70s, the head of their gender reassignment division. Johns Hopkins was the very first um, kind of spearhead into gender reassignment surgery. Um, and uh, they called Dr. Um, John, what was his name? Paul McHugh. To come to Johns Hopkins. Now, if you know anything about Johns Hopkins, this is the reason I like this uh, particular, for instance. Paul McHugh is not an elder at a church. He's not even a Christian. Not even a Christian. But we know that Johns Hopkins doesn't find idiots. They, when they're hiring, they don't go and say, let me find the most mediocre psychiatry brain in the world, and we're going to make them the head of our reassignment department. No, no. In fact, Paul McHugh had very important things to say. I just read, want to read a quote from him very quickly. Um, Paul McHugh, the University Distinguished Service Professor of Psychiatry at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, says this. Transgendered men do not become women. Now, this guy is not a Christian, again, and he's the top of his field, so listen to what he says. Transgendered men do not become women, nor do transgender women become men. All become feminized men or masculinized women, counterfeits or impersonators of the sex with which they identify. In that lies their problematic future. When the Tumult and shouting dies. It proves not easy nor wise to live in a counterfeit sexual garb. The most thorough follow-up of sex-reassigned people extending over 30 years 
In Sweden, where the culture is strongly supportive of the transgender community, documents their lifelong mental unrest. 10 to 15 years after reassignment, the suicide rate of those who have undergone sex reassignment surgery rose 20 times to that comparable of their peers. He also, um, in fact, up until three years ago, they stopped doing sex reassignment surgeries. Johns Hopkins completely stopped. After 38 years, they started again in 2017. Pastor, why are you telling me all this? I'm telling you all this because how we see ourselves as created and who created us will shape the rest of our lives. You know this, right? It will shape everything about you. And there are people all over who are, they feel this tension around how they were born and who they're supposed to be. And that tension lies, and they, they point at it as, I was born wrong. When really what the wrestling is, is a broken world. It's a broken world. And I'm going to say this one more time, because I want if you leave here with anything, I want you to, to almost reiterate this in your mind. If the church should be anything, it should be a safe place for the gender-confused and sexually broken. It should be a safe place. Now, with all this in mind, where's the culture? And then let's find out what Scripture would have to say. We're just one verse today. That's all. That's it. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, let's pray. We'll go home. Some of y'all were like, finally. This is great. Perfect. Yeah, no, we've got a, we've got a long way to go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Francis Schaeffer calls this sentence the most pregnant sentence in all of history. And so let's start at the very beginning, where it says, in the beginning. Everybody say beginning. In order to fully peel back the layers of this one sentence, it is, we have to understand that it is impossible for you and me to fully get God. Impossible. We are finite. God is infinite. And have you, and just over here for a second, have you ever thought it's weird that it's finite, but you don't say infinite? Or does anybody say that? And I've been saying it wrong all these years. Okay, see? New King got me. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Infinite. We are finite. God is infinite. When we look, see, everything about our lives is defined by time. Time. And what this points to, these first three words, they tell us one thing. God lives outside of time. And this is going to be hard for you to grasp, but there was no, in the beginning, God already existed. 
when time began, God already existed. Um, if you go to Ecclesiastes, um, this is how much our, our lives are bound up with time. For everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to harvest, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up, a time to cry, and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to turn away, a time to search, and a time to quit searching, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war. A time for peace. Everything about our lives is gauged by time. In fact, if I were to ask you how you were, you would be, uh, it would be a tough situation for you to try and figure out how to answer me without using time. You ask somebody how you are. Man, it's been a great week. Today's been awesome. Everything about us is determined by time, defined by time. Here's what we need to pick up here. Everything. Everybody say everything. Everything because God is outside of time. God existed before the actual beginning. Here's the beginning. God is outside of all of that. Everything finds its origin in God. Because he existed before anything else did. So your reality, your purpose, your gender, everything can be found in God because he existed before any of it. Before the very beginning. Now, so in the beginning, God what? What did he do? Created. Um, you see, God is the primary mover. Primary. Let me use an example. What's in my hand? Yeah, don't, don't think that hard. <laughs> I got him. No. Nothing. Okay? It's, 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 it's not a trick question. There's nothing in my hand. Y'all, there's flowers, a rabbit, nothing's, nothing's going to come out of my hand. There's nothing in here. If I were to be able to make anything and make as much of it as I wanted with nothing, how wealthy do you think I'd be? Infinitely, infinitely wealthy. Yes. You understand this is what God did. God took nothing and created Everything. Sit, sit under that for a second because that has a trickle down. It has a trickle down because if God can do everything with nothing, what can he do with your problems? What can he do with your broken family? What can, what can he do with your addictions and private sin that you won't tell anybody about? What can God do with your brokenness if he can make everything out of nothing? God created everything from nothing. This changes how we operate. It changes how we pray. 
If I pray to a God who has to have a bunch of different uh, uh, angles and, and ways to make things happen, but no, he spoke, and at his very word, everything, the heavens and the earth appeared. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Now, anybody big space nerds, any space nerds in the room? Like if you get an email like, or see something on Facebook like 10 photos uh, from the Hubble telescope, oh, I'm clicking on it. All day long, I'm clicking on it. Um, how many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, awe-inspiring, right? Now the Grand Canyon's on the earth, but the Hubble telescope will give you a view of the heavens. That's everything Above and beyond, um, a couple verses that came to mind. Psalms 147.4 says this. He counts the stars and calls them all by name. You know how many stars there are? No, no one does. Our best guess that just in our galaxy there are 200 billion Billion. Just making sure you're awake. And he knows them all by name. He created them. He spoke them into existence. He created the heavens and the earth. And look, look, let me just take a step aside because the New Testament would say he knows, the, the, the Psalms would tell us that he knows every hair on your head. Every hair. He knows. And even in Job, this is probably even one of my more favorites here in Job um, 26 and verse 14 says this. These, talking about the heavens, these are just the beginning of all that he does. Merely a whisper of his power. Other versions would say this, the heavens are just the fringes of his garment. He doesn't like my preaching today. I'm sorry. God created the heavens and the earth. Now some of you, when, when we talk about the earth I, I need you to understand how small this is in comparison to God. How small we are. In our small galaxy, amidst this unthinkable universe that he's created, this heavenlies that he's created, in this kind of small galaxy on this even smaller rock, he put his crown jewel, man and woman, who would worship him and be in relationship with him, who he would send his son to die for. He placed them on this rock, and the biggest drama of all time would take place. He created the heavens and the earth and dropped his very image, you and I, right here. Not by accident. So I'm just going to talk about three things and I'm going to close. Somebody say amen. Amen. 
origin. I want to talk about origin. Where, where did we come from? Two, what's our purpose? And three, design, okay? Origin, purpose, design. First, origin. The very first thing, in order for us to understand as we walk through the next nine weeks, we have to understand where you and I come from. And the most simple way that I can put this is that you and I were created. Everybody say created. Created by a creator. Why does this matter? This matters because because we're the created and he's the creator, we are not the measure of anything. And just to put it in layman's terms, you aren't the point. Now some of y'all just took a punch to the chest. You know why? You know why that hurts so bad? Because we want to be the point. I've been out cutting grass all day, sweating, working. I want to come home and be the point. I want my, my, I want my wife just to come serve me and I want to be the point. Look, don't, don't smile at me like you don't want to be the point. You want to be the point. That's why you're here. You need Jesus. Whew, calm down. Calm down. You aren't the point. When we understand, hear me. And I'm going to whisper so you'll pay attention. When you understand that you're not the point, by me realizing that I'm not the point when I get home, I understand that my wife's been at home with a screaming baby and a sassy five-year-old, and she hasn't really had adult conversation all day long. And so sometimes, when I realize I'm not the point, I have to come home and just be like, hey, it's Thursday night. You should go out on hotel ministry and have lots of adult conversation. Because some of y'all may have forgotten, but hanging around a five-year-old and an infant all day long, that'll drive you mad. It'll drive you crazy. You aren't the point. He's the point. God is the point. He didn't create you so you could get all the glory. He created you to give him glory. Yeah. Purpose. That kind of takes us to purpose. And, and this is important because I actually just had a conversation with somebody the other day that they were like, what, what's the point of all this? Are we just aimlessly floating around, floating through the universe with just, just no point, no, no reason? And the answer is no. We're not just aimlessly floating around. We, because we were created, we create things with a purpose, right? Yeah, everything created has a purpose, and in fact, when we don't fulfill our purpose, the scripture would say that even the rocks will cry out in our name. So, so, so everything under the sun, under God, has purpose. Now, understanding that we have purpose will rule out a few things that, 
you will hear today. Um, and so it helps us cross some things off, like dualism. Have you ever heard of dualism? Let me, let me describe dualism. Dualism would be, have you ever watched an exorcism show? You know where some of y'all are like, you've watched an exorcism show, Pastor? You need to get down there and repent. Watch what goes in your eyes. I know. Don't be hateful to me. But you know that uh, on all those exorcism shows, there's some wicked-looking, pale little girl, and it's always a dark room, house is shaking, and they call a priest, and they're like, we need to do an exorcism. And so this priest comes in the room, and you don't know if you're going to get like pea soup, or she's going to start just arched back, come levitating off of the bed, and and then you're expecting this priest and this little demon-possessed girl to go at it, and you don't know who's going to win. That's dualism. That's dualism. And there are people that believe that. Who's going to win? Because in the beginning, God created, listen, victory belongs to him. This is, this is the confidence we have, that dualism it, there's no wondering who's going to win. God wins. Materialism. This, this idea that all that is is all there is. Everything that I see is all that there is. Well, God existed outside of everything that is. He created everything that is. Polytheism can't work because in the beginning, God, there were no other gods present. So you can't be polytheist. Existentialism, meaning that man wills his own uh, reality? No. How can the created dictate their own workings? You ever had a lawnmower yell at you and say, you cut the grass? No. Y'all think that's stupid, but that's what it's like. Existentialism won't work. Pantheism. Pantheism's like God is everything. Everything is God. Um, have you ever seen Avatar? I used to watch movies. Since having kids, I watch no movies. Except for Little Baby Bum. And uh, y'all don't know what Little Baby Bum is? I should have brought a clip of it. It's maddening. Just goes over and over in your head. Won't go away. Avatar is this movie where they, uh, I don't know, it's like human animal conversion. And in, in, in the movie, if you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's clean. It's PG. You don't have to worry about it. Um, they would like take their tails and like connect them with trees and horses and everything else because everything was one and all connected with one another. That's what pantheism is. God is everything. Everything is God. Well, that won't work for one reason. God isn't everything. He created everything. You can also probably attribute pantheism to a lot of nature worship. People are like, you know, I feel God when I'm in the trees. Or, you know, the, when I hear the babbling river brook, it's very pretty. Whenever you talk to a pantheist, most of the time they, they paint out the prettiness of nature, but never like the lying, devouring, devouring an antelope or something, the... the they never depict that. They only depict the really pretty stuff. And I think the reason people are drawn to thoughts like that 
is because when you go to the Grand Canyon, if you've been there, or you go to a beautiful mountain in Virginia, you don't have to go to the Grand Canyon to see something pretty. You know, you can go to the Blue Ridge Mountains. Pretty. And you just stand up there. And, and what does it create? It creates this sense of, wow, awe. Oh, how? How? Man, this is breathtaking, right? This is what people say. People see that and they attribute they, they attribute to it being God when really their reverence and awe would be multiplied if they took the time to realize that God spoke all of that into existence. How much does your awe and, and, and reverence and mag, magnifying increase when you realize that you look at the Grand Canyon and God spoke it. Or you look at all the stars, the countless stars, and you say, God spoke them into existence. God told them to be. I love the ocean. My wife hates the ocean. We went to Cancun one time. Was it Cancun that took you out? She was like, I don't want to go in the water. I'm like, let's go in the water. That's why we're here. She's like, no, we're here to relax and sit, you know, sunbathe. I'm like, no, let's go get in the ocean. And boy, she got out there, bit the, I mean, she just bit the sandbar. I mean, took her out. She's pregnant with Macy. Maybe that's what happened. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, there's no filter here, okay? That's not a written joke. It just happened. But so, and then I realized why she doesn't go in the ocean. She, I didn't. I don't think she talked to me the rest of the day. And I gotta, I gotta get moving because there's ver- something very important I need to say here in a couple minutes. Have you ever been in the ocean and lose your footing? Or, or you, you try and get over a wave and it like takes you down? And then another wave just, it, it comes behind it and, and you just can't, have you ever been there and you just can't seem to get back out of it? It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Now take that, that awe that I look at the ocean and know that it could crush me. Have you ever been in an earthquake where the entire surface of the earth is shaking and know that it can collapse whole buildings and crush me at any moment? To watch on the news, I remember when I was really small uh, my grandparents lived in Providence Forge. I don't even know if you know where that's at. It's Providence Forge is out towards Williamsburg, New Kent. Let's go. Um, little yellow house, they lived there forever. And tornado warning, there's a tornado coming down 60. And I decided I wanted to go outside and play. I don't know what a tornado warning is. I didn't know it existed. But my grandparents did. And so I go, I'm just walking through the house, and I go and I open up the door, 
And our tree, our tree house that we had outside lifts up off the ground and disappears. You know that tornado went just around my, parent, my, my grandparents' house. I just saw, I saw the treehouse go. It just vanished. And the, it was, my grandpa built that. It shouldn't have gone anywhere. It could have taken me. And we look and we stare at the awe. And, and this, is, this is the sad part for pantheists. This is the sad part for those who worship nature because it stops there and it doesn't go to the ultimate point of glorification, which would be realizing that there was a creator that told the waves to come and go. A creator that speaks and the wind can destroy anything. Wow. He told it to be. And hear me today. If you, if you don't hear anything else, God spoke you into existence. You were no accident. Your parents may have told you that. I'm sorry. Some of y'all, I, y'all are reliving it now and I'm sorry. Um. You were not. God spoke you into existence. Design. Let me read this quote from C.S. Lewis and then I'm going to close. Jason, I may need you to play acoustic. I can't preach and play. So y'all two are on here in a minute. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, Mere Christianity. God made us, invented us as a man invents a machine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed. Everybody say designed. Designed to burn. And the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us, hear this, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no peace. There is no happiness outside of God himself. There is a way we have been designed to work. You and I today, men and women, have been designed to work. There's a, there's, and and even the Bible would say it kind of like this. There's a way that seems right to man. And in the end, it leads to death. Many of us are just fighting the design that God has for you. You're trying to fuel yourself on the things of this world or trying to fuel yourself on things that aren't filling you up or they're making the engine run like junk. And 
And God is here saying, you want to know the path to life? You want to, how, you want to know how to be a man? You want to, be, uh, you, know, you want to know how it should be to be a, a woman? Do you want to know how sex and money and children, you want to know how all these things are going to navigate themselves? God created all of it. And who better to go to as we figure it out than God himself? John 10.10 said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. You see, God created all life for his glory. God himself, as the creator, determines what a boy's made of and what a girl's made of. And so how does this help? And as I get ready to close and they're going to sing, James 1.17 says this. I'll start in 16. So don't be misled, my brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. Oh, praise God. He changes or casts, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. If you want a good way to frustrate me, some of you might be this way. If we're riding down the road in a car together and I come up to a stoplight and I say, which way should I go? And you look me in the eye and you say, go, just head due east. I will turn to you and say, do I look like Daniel Boone? Does it look like I'm wearing a raccoon hat? Just tell me left or right. One good way to frustrate me. Where are you going? Let me tell you where I'm going. Before there was GPS, before there were phones that would tell you where to go, and even even before you had those fold-up maps that never would fold back, right? You would just throw them in the back seat. Before all of that, the way people navigated was by a fixed point. This is how people would navigate. And most sailors would use the North Star. Why? Because it appeared to never change. It never shifted. Now listen to me. If you're trying to figure something out, if you're trying to figure out how culture in the Bible, how to fit them, if you're trying to figure out what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, if you're trying to figure out how to get to New Kent, I can guarantee you, you will never get anywhere there where there is no fixed point. This is how you determine whether to go left or right. And if your fixed point is the media or your best friend across the street, it's the wrong fixed point. If you're trying to figure out how to be a man by putting your fixed point on a man here on earth, it's not going to work. God never changes. And what he would beckon you to today as we navigate and look at this beautiful design that he's created in in each of us, we have to place him as the fixed point. Why? He never changes. 
and his shadows never shift. He is a constant. He is a constant, a good and constant friend indeed. You can rely on him. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.